0: Father, we just thank you for this brand new morning. We just thank you for the opportunity to be together as parents. Uh, Father, we thank you for, for what you provide, um, that in our weakness that you're strong, Father. And, and so in this world of technology and all these electronic things flying, we know that you're greater and more powerful. And we just um, ask for that to be in our midst today, that, that we might grow from being with you in your name. Amen. Hey, so disconnected in a connected world. I'm kind of excited to get to the seminar because to be blunt with you, if you ever have me come to your church, this is the last thing I do, and I typically run out of time. And so the slides that you're going to see today, I typically am flying through them really, really fast, and so I'm kind of excited that we get to slow down today and, and talk about the disconnected world. It's interesting to me, before we get too far into it, this verse coming out of Psalm 139 are you guys familiar with this verse? We, we say it all the time, but it says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. How many of you would love to, to be reading something that your kid wrote about themselves and to, and to actually read that? That'd be pretty neat, wouldn't it? What I find interesting is that I share this text with with teens and a lot of teens are like, that's easy for David to write because David was a king. Okay, let's think about David a little bit. If David lived in the modern age of social media, what would David think about himself? Well, it's interesting. In the olden days of of no social media, what did David experience as, as a young boy? He had the the Samuel came to choose a king, and was David invited to the to the picking, the choosing? Why was David not invited to the choosing of the king? He was ruddy. I love that the Bible says ruddy. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I don't think it's a compliment. You know, David was this sunburned little kid. And what's interesting to me is, is we've got kids from China. We've traveled in China quite a bit. I grew up in Japan. Um, for some reason in, in all the world, except for maybe Europe and, and the United States, um, we purposefully get tans, right? We darken our skin in the sun. Most of the world doesn't do that. Most of the world protects their, their skin with understanding that the lighter skin you have, the, the less of a servant you appear to be, right? And so David's rudy. David is in the, in the field taking care of sheeps when, sheep when, when Saul, Samuel comes. Here's the other wild thing about it is, why did they pick Saul? No. Tall. tall and handsome. Tall and handsome. And so next comes David. And what's interesting is that, and you start reading through it, is that, is that what God is telling to Samuel is that, is that man looks on the outside God looks at the heart. Okay, so um, I don't know about you guys, but when someone's like, oh, bless his heart or bless her heart, (laughs) you know, that doesn't seem like a compliment anymore, does it? It just doesn't feel right. But here's what I think is amazing about David is that David is this kid that was looked over. He doesn't appear kingly. He doesn't, even his family doesn't see him as as a possibility of, of those things. He doesn't necessarily have the physical things. He doesn't have all these. So his social media network isn't, isn't even in that day, it's, it's not helping him around his, his self-image. But this is what he says. And why does he say this? Because he knows God. Because he not only knows about God, but he, he's experienced God. Through lots and lots of different things. And and so he's got this confidence about himself. And, and here's the challenge that I, I'd like us to think about getting to is that we have a world in which kids have lots of feedback about who they are. They're getting lots and lots of information coming at them. But most of our kids that we're dealing with feel pretty rotten about themselves. They feel disconnected, they have a longing to be loved, they have a longing to be appreciated, they have a longing to be noticed, and in this world that we live in right now, most of our kids would have a really hard time getting to that that verse about themselves. And in their search for for feedback, their search for connection, um, they're doing it in some of the most unhealthy ways possible. And so that's kind of the context that, that I'd like us to get into. Um, As we get into just the basics, if you've got your handouts in front of you, don't panic if you don't want to fill those out. All the answers are in the back. Um, If you don't see these slides, I send you all the slide decks, so you'll have it in PDF so you can take a look at it. Um, So don't don't feel like you have to grab everything. I hate doing research about social media because as soon as I find a really good slide, it changes. (laughs) Um, How many of you had a MySpace website? How many of you didn't want your kids to have a MySpace website? Yeah. You know what's scary is that you could probably find your MySpace site out there, you know, with your little backgrounds and all your favorite stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it, that stuff doesn't die. So it's probably out there, but you notice that now MySpace isn't even on the horizon. It's not something we even consider. Um, the most popular, this is 2014, in a way these, these top... Ones are, are just holding their, holding their ground really well. So you've got Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and then all these ones that most people don't use. What's interesting is these bottom ones, especially Google+, does anyone use Google+, other than when you have to sign up for Google and they do it for you? And only Google employees do that. So a bunch of people in Fresno, San Jose, you know, those people use it. But the, the rest of us are really up there. Here's the other statistics that we're finding is that especially our teens are becoming less active on Facebook. Any idea why? Yeah, you guys are there. Grandma's there. And so they might have a, a they might have a, a some activity there, but they're they're not spending as much time there on, on Facebook because there's just way too many adults. And so that's really kind of the statistics around it. What they're saying is that girls dominate the visually-oriented social media platforms. So when you look at Instagram, Instagram, if you're not familiar with it, is is actually Facebook-owned, but it's really a photo-sharing, commenting um, application that's out there. And so kids can use Instagram to share pictures and silly pictures, and they can double-tap if they like it and a little heart appears. And so it's it's a profile for that. So girls, 61%, boys, 44%. Snapchat, Snapchat is really this, this weird messaging picture format that has this uh, fantasy that, that whatever you do disappears um, after a certain amount of time. And so girls there are 51%, boys are 31 Online pin boards like Pinterest, um, definitely the girls are there. OK, I will confess, I have a Pinterest account. <laughs> I think I'm the only guy here, <laughs> maybe, that does. Okay, Kelly, your wife just outed you, Kelly. <laughs> She's pointing at him. He's got a Pinterest account. There's some good stuff on there. Um, I, I claim that I'm on there for Project Patch, but there's some interesting stuff there. Um, Tumblr, I don't know. But here's what's interesting is that majority of these platforms, the girls are leading. The girls go there and the boys tend to follow where, where the girls are. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I remember I was 16, 17 years old, and my friend Elliot and I, living in Nebraska, decided we wanted to meet good-looking girls. Sounds familiar, right? And in our boy brains, we're like, good-looking girls play tennis with their little little skirts on, and it's going to be (laughs) awesome. (laughs) We're going to meet good-looking girls. And so Elliot and I started playing tennis. And we started practicing, and we were playing tennis. And one week, it was pretty much Friday afternoons, we'd go play tennis, and it was great. We're we're playing tennis. And one Friday afternoon, we show up to our court, and there's these cute girls playing tennis on it. We were so annoyed. (laughs) He's like, get off our court! (laughs) You know, we want to play tennis! Because we had transitioned from playing tennis to try to meet girls to the point that we loved tennis. You know, and there was a transition there that, that happened. And we see that with boys, is that boys will typically... You know, make a decision to go onto social media because they want to—they want to be around their friends or girls—and then they'll start using it for personal reasons, um, which is kind of an an interesting transition that they make. But typically, um, this is this is the pattern. Here's what's wild: is that um, for years and years and years, people said that girls didn't use pornography. Why? Because girls are not visually oriented. Really? Snapchat, Pinterest. Facebook, cookbooks, I mean, highly visually-oriented environments, okay? And so it's just different nowadays, and the girls are becoming increasingly visual-oriented. And um, when you look at all the dating apps, which that's not something we'll get into here, but those are what? Visually-oriented, swipe right, right, swipe left, that sort of environment. Quick decisions based on, on physicality, images, that sort of thing. And so girls dominate that, that environment, and boys are going. Um, what are some of the pluses of social media? what connections. connections yeah you're able to connect with people all over the place right oh i like this i can see what my older kids are doing how many of you find that it's it's your kids are leaving a, a crumb trail of of their activities on social media oh so they do it on purpose okay oh that's great
1: share to Six, seven different people this way it put
0: it on once they can put it on once and see it you know we, we that was really helpful for us when we were adopting our kids and surgeries and all that sort of thing is that we've got we've got a, a page specifically for our son who's who's got some some um, challenges and it's CJ's page and we can put stuff there and, and um, all the people that care can get it at, at one time that's a great great example another benefit There's got to be more. Yeah. I'll go back and watch my kids grow. Yeah, that's kind of fun, isn't it? To see the, the transition, see the memories, reflect on some of the stuff that, that happened. Yeah, that's, that's a really useful thing for that. At, yeah. She
1: said it's quick and easy generally to do that kind of <coughs> at least in personal communication.
0: Yeah, for some level of impersonal, you can kind of catch up on people. Um, how many of you have saved money on birthday cards and Christmas cards? You're just flopping it out there As a ministry like ours That is running on And trying to maximize our our ministry impact um, Social media and some of those things Are fantastic Because we can can do something And and get the word out in, in a really powerful way This is where social media gets really weird um, several years ago, I was on Dr. Phil with a kid that we took in on that, on that show. They had called us, and, and we had taken a girl into our program that we were already trying to get into our program. So it was a really interesting interesting time. When we were on Dr. Phil, our social media took a big hit. Our website took a big hit on, those, on the times that that aired. And it was kind of wild because you could be watching as it aired around the world, and, and you'd see the, the blips happen. That was several years ago that, that that episode happened. Just about last Christmas-ish, we started getting massive hits on that page of our website. And it was a Danielle was the pseudonym for the girl that we helped, and we just started seeing lots of hits on, on that Danielle page on our on our website where traffic had gone down to nearly nothing. When we had switched our website, I almost got rid of it. But I thought, you know, I might as well keep that page. There were no links onto that page from our front page. It was kind of hard to find even. But but it was, you know, I was started getting, you know, 50, 70, starting to get huge amounts of hits on that, on that page. And I'm like, what is going on? Didn't make any sense to me why... You know, and, and so I started looking at it you know, did they re-air it, it's in syndication you know, was that on again and, and there's no evidence of that and I finally discovered in early December there was a girl named Danielle that Dr. Phil had helped but even that there was no connection to Project Patch and one day our um, admissions coordinator who's a, a little bit younger so she's around hipper people than I am, was driving her car and there's some young adults in it and they said cash you on the outside how about that and she's like, that's the dumbest thing I've heard. What's that about? Well, there was a girl on Dr. Phil named Danielle who said this ridiculous thing called cashew on the outside. How about that? That ended up becoming January, February's biggest meme on the internet. And that meme resulted in more hits on our website than the original episode. We're getting about 27,000 hits a week based off of a girl that said something ridiculous on, on Dr. Phil. And people would type in what happened to Danielle on Dr. Phil and because of search engine optimization, ours was on the front page. And what was weird about it is that we had a video of, of a quick little thing of when we were on the show and Danielle's story and some updates. And so they were on for four and a half minutes. Average stay here 's the sad thing about it is a the demographic they were like fourteen to twenty four year olds so none of them are donating, none of them are supporting our ministry, none of them are sending kids but that's the that's social media that social media can stuff can happen and, and stuff can fly in ways that that You know, honestly, I'd say that there's times that miraculous stuff happens. God uses it for for amazing purposes. You look at some of the stuff that's happening in these meetings that are being broadcast around um, Adventist World Radio and what they're doing with podcasts and what they're doing with social media is phenomenal. Phenomenal. So there's good stuff happening. Um, How many of you have at least one social media profile? Yeah, so most of us have some sort of thing. And does it bring some benefit to your life? Yeah, it really can. And so I don't want to have this be a, bah, social media is rotten. But I do want to say that that with this, this positive side also comes a shadow side. Satan has a way of, of taking stuff. And I don't know what it is, but something that can be purely fun can be turned around. You find that with kids' toys that are electronic, you know, there's even those little, this is going to be funny, people distort that and use it for, for some horrible purposes. I just want to go through really quickly some of the ways that we see social media really impacting kids and some, some really negative things. Um, one of the things that we struggle with was, is that when teens, especially you're looking at, at maybe even as young as 11 now going through their teen years, their identity formation is, is their key task that they're doing. They're asking this question constantly, who am I? Who am I? Am I like this person? Am I like that other person? Who, who am I going to be? What am I supposed to be? And so that identity formation is, is something they're searching for. Here's the challenge. So if you're looking at, well, I'll, I'll do it here. You see the X over there. This is something we spent all week on. You're probably bored with it, but you've got the child launching forward. And I'm laying down Erickson's model. So Erikson's a psychologist that wrote about stages that kids go through. Like one of the first ones is, can I trust So when I cry, will these adults respond to my needs? You you know what I'm talking about. So if the baby cries and nothing happens, what does the baby learn? It doesn't do any good to cry, right? And so they they learn to distrust at this point. Next phase, you see kids playing, and, and one of the behaviors that we love to see with little kids playing is that they'll use mom or dad as home base, and they'll connect, they'll hold on to you, they'll make faces with you, and then they'll go run and play with their friends, And they'll play, 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 and then they'll go back to their dad and mom, right? And so that back-and-forth yo-yoing is is a healthy thing for kids to do. I work with with a lot of kids having to do with attachment disorders. And there's times that people are like, wow, your baby's so well-attached because look how the baby's just clinging on to you. won't let go of you. The baby just loves you. It's just with you. That's actually a a, a frightened child with, with broken attachments. Does that make sense? There's fear, and so they won't let go. A secure attachment means I let go, I go play, I come back. I play, I come back. And so you worry about kids that never come back, and you worry about kids that never go. Th- does that make sense? And so each one of these stages has to be passed. Um, we're a big believer at our youth ranch that affirmations are probably the most powerful ways to pick this up. So if you've got a kid that early childhood is mistrust, you know, especially these kids that come from neglect, these kids that come from abuse, um, as they show trust, you reward that. As they show independence, you you affirm that. And so there are processes of moving through. At this X phase, which you're looking at probably about 6 to 11-year-olds, they're asking the question, can I make it in this world of people and things? Am I capable? You know, And so that's where the boys are exerting their strength against their dads. That's where they're trying hard things and saying, you know, can I do that? One foot in childhood, one foot going into adulthood, right? And they're like, can I make it? Can I make it? And so as a parent, if you give them responsibility and outcomes, what is that communicating to them? You can figure it out. I think you got this one, buddy. But if you're communicating you need me, you're dependent, I don't think you can figure out, you're actually launching them Down on that, their discovery is going to be no. Or if we give them chance, or if we give them over, how would describe it? There's times that we give non-age-appropriate tasks for kids, you know, and we expect too much from them, and they fail dramatically because we haven't trained them, equipped them, or supported them. At that point, they're like, "I can't do it," you know, and and their self-talk gets into the point that "I can't make it." So here now is this huge phase from about 11 years old, 12, all the way. Possibly even past the, the teen years that they're asking this question: who am I? What am I supposed to be? And traditionally, how did a teen a hundred years ago figure out who they were gonna be or what they were gonna do in life? Mom and dad? Yeah, so if the dad and mom are farmers, they're farmers. If they're in a way it was fairly constricted for a long time, wasn't it? Um, your church community had some things. Here's what's interesting is if you were going to become, a, um, let's just say a plumber, what would you have to go through to become a plumber?
1: Apprenticeship.
0: apprenticeship. Even now there's apprenticeships for some of the trades, right? But back a hundred years ago for whatever you're doing, there was an apprenticeship. That was common. Nowadays for a kid to try to figure out who they're going to be, how do they decide it? Social media friends, they might take a test at school where they fill in some dots and they tell you you're supposed to be a what? <laughs> bus driver. <laughs> I don't remember what mine said, but it's probably <laughs> I probably should have been a bus driver. I, I was actually for a short bit. Um, but you've got these, you've got these ways of, of trying to figure out your identity, right? Here's the social media ages that imagine a kid is experimenting with different identities, different thoughts, different things that I want to do. Um, social media is this thing that they're putting it out there to the crowd. And what's interesting is that the crowd sometimes responds with, that's awesome, and they're going to give a lot of affirmation for that. And sometimes the crowd is going to go silent with stuff, right? And because of that, our kids are forming their identity with people voting, which is really a, a, new, a new thing, um, in the past, you might have some trusted people that are voting in your life that you're having some conversation with. And I think some of that's still happening. But more and more, our kids are discovering that, that I can get huge amount of responses from, from the world. So if I wear something cute or if I say something something or if I dress a certain way or if I make a joke or if I do whatever, um, I'm going to get lots of attention for that. If I do something lame, what happens? Quiet. And so kids' identity is, is hugely shaped by, by what they're doing online. Um, who am I supposed to be? What am I going to do? And to me, the sadness about this is that deep conversations are, are really probably most, the most important things. Huge human connection is really important. We talked about it in the very first thing on Monday. If your kid wants to be a dentist and they're, they're graduating from high school, what would be the best thing for them to do at that, that summer? Go, go work for a dentist for, for the summer. You know that'd be a great way to learn if that's would be a, a good thing. If you're going to be an accountant, work for an accountant, an attorney. You know, if you're going to be an electrician, go go work for an electrician. Um, when I was 15 years old, I worked for a roofer in Nebraska. Guess what? I decided I didn't want to be. <laughs> I was the guy that had to pick up stuff off the ground and deliver tile, and it was it was hard work, but. You know, honestly, that summer was a gift for me because I was getting ready to destroy my life. I was ex- starting to get into, um, my friends were already into to some pretty heavy things. Um, I was starting to, to be really interested in smoking. All sorts of really horrible things were happening. And my parents connected me with lawn mowing jobs and a roofing job for that summer. And I spent all summer sitting in a pickup truck with, with people. And honestly, that human-human connection with some wise people from my church um, changed my life. In, in ways that, that I, I'm just so grateful for. But that's because they spoke identity into me. They listened to me. It was long conversations, tons of shoulder-to-shoulder time with people that, that weren't that talkative, um, and it was, it was awesome. And so when you look at identity, think about it as that our identity has to have conversation and relationship to form. Our kids are going to experiment with different ways of doing stuff, but you don't want to leave it up to their idiot friends to double-tap to choose their, choose their life and what they're going to do dissatisfaction have you noticed that that this is something that that I need to get some stats for but but there's more and more reports about the level of dissatisfaction that people feel with their personal lives after being on social media even as adults i don't know there's seasons that it seems like everyone's on spring break in hawaii <laughs> and we're on dave ramsey beans and rice and rice and beans you know living like no other People are buying new cars, people are going places, their kids are having accomplishments and awards. I mean, it just is really easy to look online and, and to feel pretty dissatisfied about it. You know, my wife shared with me that, that one of her friends, you know, had had bought this massive house and, and she was happy for her, but she just felt sad at the same point. You know, and it was kind of a pervasive sadness. She could logically know that we're happy and that we have what we need, but it was still, it was hard to see it. And so that dissatisfaction comes, um, and what we see, with our, with, especially with the girls looking at it, is that when they look online and when they start seeing other people in the pictures and stuff, it causes a lot of, of body shame. You know, my body is different. I'm not as strong. I'm not as good looking. I'm not as funny. I'm not as. And, and so they look at their own lives and it, and it feels pretty bad to them. You know, one of the ideas that we really try to help kids understand is that what online is, is that online is your on-stage. But all of us are living and our thoughts are happening backstage. On-stage versus backstage. And so an example that I do when I do the teaching is going back to the Dr. Phil episode, it was that um, I had gotten a call on Thursday, I was on a plane on Monday, I was sitting in a studio on Tuesday, and I love food. That's my confession. I love food. And so I'm sitting in a place with all the food around me that you could imagine. Chocolate-covered strawberries. There's all sorts of cookies. There's, there's, I mean, anything I could imagine that I'd be hungry for is there. And I've got my hands on a coffee cup, and I'm shaking. And I'm usually not scared. I mean, I've been on 3ABN a bunch of times, and that just never scared me at all. But the idea of being on national TV had me frightened. And, and I'm sitting there, and, and you have to use the restroom. You have to get someone to guide you, to take you there. You, you don't get to choose. You can't walk around the studio on your, on your own. Um, they come and look at your clothes, and, and they saw the suit that I was going to be wearing, and they said, that'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I wanted them to say, oh, that's going to look awesome on the screen. But they're like, that'll be fine. <laughs> and so, but there's other people that they will actually change out their wardrobe you know, right there to go on the show. They've got a whole bunch of clothes set aside with ties and, and jackets and everything so that, so that people look the way they want them to look. I um, mean, you go to makeup, and I just thought they'd do a little bit of makeup, because I'm not a star on the show. I'm just <coughs> sitting there as a resource, um, but they're doing makeup. Lots of makeup, and the guy's slicing it up, and it's like a 20-minute makeup thing, and I'm thinking, wow, I didn't think I needed that much. <laughs> <laughs> And so imagine my insecurities by the time the show lights go on. I've, I've had a horrible four or five hours leading up to the, the lights going on. But when the lights go on, I, I want to represent Project Patch as best I can. And so I'm doing my very best to have my voice under control and for me to look confident and for me to look excited about helping the, this girl. Um, it was just a whirlwind of, of activity on the show. And then you have no idea what they're going to show or cut. And what they do is they take the best minutes from the show. After three hours of recording, you get 45 minutes of the show, and you have no idea what they're going to show. And so the reason I share that is if you just watch that snippet of of me on Dr. Phil, I look fairly confident. He calls me Chuck Hagel, which is not my name, but... That 's fine if he wants to call me that but it's it 's this awkward thing of me trying to portray that i 'm used to this i 'm okay with this i 'm comfortable here but but in the back of my mind what am i i 'm terrified so here 's the reality is is that what we do on on social media is that we try to show pictures that are that are um, flattering, we show the best of our lives, even people that are saying you know i 'm doing no makeup monday even that 's this um, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's better than some of the other options. But it's we 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 in a sense are are showing the best to to the other world. We're showing the confidence. We're showing the funny. And in the meantime, we're living in a world in which we have our insecurities backstage. Yeah. Please.
1: Um, my favorite comment quote well, is Don't compare your inside to
0: somebody else's Yep. Yep. So don't compare your insides to somebody's outsides exactly. But the challenge of it is that it's just so strange. There's something about social media that makes it seem like we're all being authentic with each other. It carries the, the perception of authenticity. And so you've got kids that are looking at it like, that person's so smart. They're only they're my same age, but they've got their life together. And I, I can't even pick what toothbrush to use, you know, toothpaste to use, please.
1: I had a friend on Facebook a couple years ago. She was, um, she came basically on stage with the fact that she had depression and anxiety. And she did it in an interesting way. She had to invite people to a private page.
0: Yeah. So she invited people off the main page. She
1: was saying, This is my fake side. Yeah. But if you really want to know what's going on and you really care, come to
0: this page. Yeah, come to this page. You know, and honestly, here's the other thing. just... And I'm trying not to be judgmental, but when you work with with kids that that struggle, um, there's a class of people called borderline. Anyone know what borderline means? Borderline means that they're just, everything's dramatic. There's drama everywhere. These kids are really likable. They share their life story. If you came to Project Patch, you would meet our borderline kids right away. And you'd probably feel like they trust you and they love you because she just shared her story with me and she's got such a sad story and and you really connect and they're they're personable and they'll share their, their story with you, not realizing that they've just done that with six other people. They draw you into that emotions and there's just... They they fire emotions. Not a whole lot of accountability toward action with the borderline kids, but it's a ton of drama. It's a lot of connection. They're great kids. I'm not putting them down that way, but the borderline kids are, are a unique child, and you can't necessarily feed the drama. Does that make sense? Here's the crazy thing is online, you've got a lot of borderline kids that are just getting a ton of attention online, a ton of compassion. They're making videos with them crying and all this stuff, and people are like, oh... Bless their heart. You know, they're doing prayer chains and a bunch of stuff. And you got to love it. But at the same time, it's feeding the borderline. You know, and, it, and they're becoming YouTube sensations and all sorts of stuff. And when I look at it, there's a part of me that's like, I wish that person would get into help. You know, because that's not, they're looking for worldly affirmation. They're looking for that connection to the emotion to solve, to ramp up with them. Does that, does that make sense? And so even this backstage front stage is that finding that authentic balance is, is a real challenge. And, and honestly, if you look at my Twitter feed, especially, I, I use Twitter more than Facebook for a lot of my, my stuff, is that um, it looks like I'm on airplanes all the time traveling, which I do a lot of that, but I don't show you the days that I'm sitting in my office frightened about all the bills that we have to pay and, and the insecurities that come with that. You know, we, we represent ourselves really well. The days that I, I, has anyone been to that milkshake place in, in, in town? What is that? That is Fantastic. You know, I'll show pictures of me running, but I'm not showing pictures of me eating, drinking a milkshake two days in a row. Wondering if I can go there today. It is yummy. Um, But that's our backstage, forward-stage life. And here's the struggle is that our kids, yeah, some of you are planning. Don't go right now. Um, Most of our kids don't have a strong awareness of this, the inside-outside, that comparison. So having these discussions with them is is really useful um, because they just feel inadequate. You know, and they're already feeling that that way. And and so you're looking at a bunch of different levels. Um, they feel a critique on themselves that's, that's really, really struggling. People-pleasing, especially for your kids that are really wanting the affirmation, you see a ton of people-pleasing that's happening online. Is that they're doing stuff just to make other people happy? You know, they'll feel like they have to go through their social media and comment on everyone's stuff. Almost a compulsive, you know, a, this person needs to have me say something, you know, so they posted a picture. They have to like it. They have to do, you know, and so they're using, they're using social media just to, to try to keep all the balls in the air. Does that, does that make sense? And so they've got all these different types of friendships. They're just trying to keep people happy. They, they have this fantasy that if, if I can just keep people happy, they'll be happy with, with me. You know, and to me, that feeds that sadness rather than helps it. You know, and, and there is a sense of urgency that happens with, with social media. I will challenge you is that um, imagine a river flowing by. You've got a river flowing, right? That's social media, and you're standing on the bank, and that river flows incessantly. It doesn't stop. 24 hours a day, that's, that's going by. And how do the kids make sure that they're staying on top of all of it? How do they think, I'm missing something? Someone said something, I need to be a part of it. And so they're thinking about that river all the time, especially the kids that are addicted to social media. The other thing that I find interesting is I don't know about you guys, but in your high school, how many of you were class, you know, 80s, 90s in, in high school? Do you remember the main social groupings at that point? Kids,
1: jocks.
0: Popular jocks. The
1: nerds.
0: The nerds. How many of you popped your collars? with, with <laughs> <laughs> Pegged your jeans? <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> but, you know, in a sense, the social things, there were, there were really different social things to navigate. So as you look around a group of kids, and here's what's always been, you know, from, from the, I think, forever, it's not a new thing, but for, parents would look in on a group of kids and they wouldn't perceive the same social challenges that, that you would. You know you could look at a picture of of your classmates and you could see things You could read stuff into it that your parents would never be able to observe You know they could see someone walk into the room and and they'd be like oh She's so great, you know, and and you'd be like seeing something else Does, Does that make sense? As in your own social radar is much more perceptive than your parents ever has been So in our real world that's still the case is that you know, you go to the teen tent, you go to the junior tent, they're doing a social radar that that you might not be aware of, a pecking order, a way of relating, all that sort of stuff. Here's the difference now is that at the same time they're navigating the physical one, they're navigating maybe one or two or three, maybe more electronic ones that are all happening simultaneously. With stuff that's really hard to understand, is is your kid could be like really frustrated and they're like, Why are you frustrated? And they're looking at their Instagram and their Instagram didn't get a Double tap. People don't seem to be noticing something that they did and that could be really frustrating or someone wrote something that, that you're like, oh, that's nice. And they're like, no, it's not, <laughs> you know, really frustrated or there's certain person in their social realm that didn't respond to it or didn't, didn't do something. And so, you know, in this people pleasing thing, they're, they're trying to please certain people that they want to win favor with and there's other people that they don't want, you know, and it's just super complicated, and for some of the kids that, that we're dealing with, they just feel a ton of anxiety around this. Um, anxiety disorders are skyrocketing right now, especially with the girls, and a lot of it has to do with, I'm just trying to make everyone happy. Yes, please. How can you manage that then? On the for that? Yeah, how can you manage? Um, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the problems. <laughs> Great question, and, and we're going to get through some of that, but really the heart of it is that if you're not relationally connected with them as they're doing it, um, especially as the kids are providing feedback, and some of it really comes down to sitting with them and saying, you know, tell me about this, because there's a lot of you that are monitoring your kids' social stuff, but maybe not sitting down with them and saying, you know, tell me what, what's going on in this sort of conversation. Why is it a picture like this seems super popular, this other one doesn't? You know, so you're getting in conversation about the feed, just seeking information. You know, honey, I don't understand your world the way I'd like to. You know, that, that sort of conversation can, can kick it off. And she might feel somewhat defensive or he might, but you're just you're seeking understanding. Yes, all the way in the back. Yeah, perfect. Perfect segue because we will get into that in just a minute because, yeah, the cyberbullying adds another combination for it because these worlds collide. The weird thing about it is that kids believe that these worlds don't intersect, but they very much intersect. You know, the, the real world, the online world, is all, it's all the real world. It's, it's all real. Um, narcissism. I love that word. We were adopting our son and we were um, traveling out of China and we are in Hong Kong. And if you've been to Hong Kong, you can be on the mainland side and they do this light show, light and laser show on the, on the, on the, on the I guess, city of, of Hong Kong. That's really interesting to see. And we saw this woman come through and do this little pose and click, and she'd move about five feet down and the exact same thing. The activity was behind her, and she was filming her in the, in the activity. And it was sad, but honestly, I would love to follow her, her um, pictures because it'd be like the exact same pose with different backgrounds. And a couple of years ago, we took the cheapest um, vacation imaginable to, um, to Hawaii, and so we're in Waikiki, and if you're ever in, in the Waikiki, there's a free luau. You don't get to eat anything, which most of that stuff you don't want to eat anyway. So it's it's really kind of ideal. And so it's a free luau. It's on Waikiki Beach, and we're there, and we see this woman walk onto the stage. And I think it was the same woman. I, I, I swear it was. Different clothes, because she did the exact same pose and, and took that picture. But it's it's interesting is that kids are the center of their universe. You see that in little kids. If little kids have their parents' divorce and the parents say, it's not your fault, sweetie, you didn't cause this, what does the kid know? The kid knows. Even though it's not true, the kid self centers stuff, right? They cause stuff to happen. When you hear about kids and, and a sibling dies or something, the unwritten thing that a lot of kids tell us as they build trust is that they you know, somehow in their, in their world believe that they could have prevented it maybe not caused it, but they could have prevented it, is that kids have this I'm-in-the-center viewpoint that is, that is really scary. Honestly, it really is. So when bad stuff happens, they, they internalize it in some really shaming, weird ways. And so when you take a look at that, that's the natural tendency starting point, right? But as you start seeing it develop, more and more it's this, this world in which this social media rewards that, encourages that, that sort of behavior, and that's really not a healthy human, is that I'm not at the center of the world. You know, especially from a Christian standpoint, is that, is that there's no place in the Bible that says, you know, take pictures, selfies of your light. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a world in which we're supposed to show love, in which we're supposed to put others first. I mean, Jesus' example is, is not a, a put myself in the center of the frame um, example. But this world is encouraging that. It's it's all about us. It's all about us. And and so, you know, I'm not saying taking pictures of yourself is wrong, but you know, especially for some of our kids, that feeds that that part of them um, and causes some some negativeness. Pridefulness, I don't know what it is, is that we want our kids to have self-confidence, right? We want them to have self-esteem, but a lot of the ways we do it is actually encouraging pridefulness you know the trophy generation the rewards the you know that sort of thing and there's a tension there you know for the thing that we saw earliest with David saying that he's fearfully and wonderfully made that's good right that's not a problem to say i'm fearfully and wonderfully made but there is a problem when we're using little trinkets and little things to to show that we're we're good and we're getting our validity from those things that's that's a problem you know so what we say is is that trying to find ways of 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 exploring people's social media you know a lot of times with your kids you might have a real struggle to say you know if I was to meet you just based on your your social media what would I know about you what would what kind of character would be reflected that might be a little too tight a little too close but sometimes just you know randomly looking at someone's social media saying you know what what does this reveal about them you know does this reveal actually a security or does it reveal an insecurity you know, and most of the people that are plastering up trophies and accomplishments, that's probably an insecurity that it's revealing, you know, and, and helping them see that. Any thoughts on the pridefulness? Because as a parent, that is a tension that, that we probably feel is we want our kids to be secure but, but not prideful. How are you working on that?
1: I can tell you I screwed it up.
0: <laughs> Anyone else along with, with, with David, right? Yep. Anyone else with David that feels like you, you haven't found that sweet spot? Yeah, it's It's hard. It's it's really hard. And there's times that when our kids are becoming really prideful that we want to just kinda bring of bring them down to the world, right? And so we say stuff that, that we really regret, you know, looking back. Yeah, please.
1: I you know, every child has something they can do very good. And it's very easy to be pride proudful of themselves. And I always tell them I you always need to remember that there is somebody out there that does that
0: better than you. Yeah.
1: But you're really good at it. And you're you're always gonna meet someone spinner,
0: yeah. Isn't that the challenge? Is that, is you're good at it. And here's where, here's where we're pushing with, with most of the training that we've been doing this week is that we reward and acknowledge effort, you know, and passion and drive. And we, you know, so the kids' ability to push is, is something we celebrate, not necessarily the accomplishment, because this is a rough world in which they could do everything right and get the wrong. You know, short-term rewards of this world reward cheating, stealing, lying, you know, so if you really get reward driven, you're gonna you're gonna to revert to those things. Yes, in the back. Yeah. So really, what 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 you're sharing, and I'll say it so the the group can hear and, and whoever's recording is that is that we swing at times, and there's probably been a generation for some of us that were raised feeling like if we were at all positive about ourselves, that's that's a really negative thing, you know, and, and look down on. It. In a sense, codependency was really pushed, you know, so creating this this ugly, ugly thing that that I can't take care of myself. I can't set boundaries. And so what she's talking about is a book by Henry Cloud and and John Townsend. Great people. Um, We've talked about some of their books and resources. They have a book for for adults called Boundaries. We have all the teens that go through our youth program read the Boundaries for Teens book um, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Fantastic resource. I think it's in our book list that I have in the thing, but I'll I'll make sure I add it. Um, Let's keep flying. Getting to cyberbullying, the question that came out from the past Here's the craziest thing about cyberbullying is that I say nearly, well, I won't even put a number, majority of the time that our kids are bothered by something that's online, us adults would say, what? What's bothering you? Or we say the other response of, just ignore it. You know, it's not, just ignore it. You're, you're reading too much into it and we just don't, it, it is hard for a parent to understand why the kid is exactly bothered by, by what they're seeing. Sure, it'll escalate a lot of times from there to become really badgering, mean sighted and so that stuff would be pretty obvious for us. But even then, for most of the adults, they'll say, just, you know, just don't go there. Get rid of your account. You know, don't look at it. That tends to be our response for, for cyberbullying. And I think the difficulty for that is that sometimes kids might not even be able to really express why it bothers them so much, why something is so snarky, why someone would write something the way they did, and everyone responds to it, you know, taking their cues from the bullying. Here's another interesting thing is, is imagine your brain, you've got a Mohawk section underneath there, in that area is a thing called the cingulate. Cingulate is really useful, it helps with um, fixation on, on something, so if you're working on, a, on solving a problem, your cingulate is that thing that, that keeps you processing it. You know, thinking about that, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it until you get it solved. That's great, isn't it? As long as it's the right thing. And so for any of you that feel anxiety or frustration, your cingulate is the thing that starts worrying about it. You know, worrying about, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Or feeling some anxiety about it. As an adult, your cingulate's going to release some... Um, I'm just trying to remember what it is right now. It's going to release something. <laughs> that sounds really technical, doesn't it? That's actually going to, going to bring you relief. It's going to calm you down, and it's going to give you perspective, and it's going to get you back engaged in your thinking spot. For teens, that same thing, that same thing once again, is released. And with a teen, it amps them up. It's the meanest thing possible, isn't it? So what brings us relief when we're stressed, their cingulates actually... Amp them up. And so if it's a comment that they see that they're really troubled about and you're like, oh, it's no big deal, for you, you can make it no big deal. For them, they just start playing it, replaying it, playing it, replaying it. For them to, to shut off social media when people are saying rotten things about them, they'll actually start making stuff up. You know, they'll be obsessively thinking about it. Or something's missing from social media. Let's say a comment was deleted. What are they going to think about? What could have been written there, right? And so they fill in the gaps. And so you've got the real-world stuff going on. You've got the intimidation going on. You've got slight little phrases. A lot of the kids that tell us you know, that, that are the most hurtful things that are happening on social media aren't necessarily the, the explicit, barbaric-type things, although some of that stuff's out there. Um, so here's the thing that I want to say for you as, as parents for cyberbullying, and, and we work on this really hard with our youth programs, is um, be sensitive to it. Don't try to talk your kids out of their feelings. Okay, so if they're they're feeling sad about something, or they're feeling angry about something, or they're feeling scared about something that's happening on social media, don't try to reason with them, saying, "No, honey, that's not probably what they meant," or get into this thing of just turn it off and advice giving. Yeah, David. So I'm pretty matter of fact. Yeah. Noticed that last time we talked, um, but I I feel like. When people spend so much time, kids, adults, doesn't matter Mm -hmm. who it is, they're just not doing enough other things. Yeah, kids have too much free time. They're sitting around, not they don't work. Yep, have responsibilities. I mean, their lives (laughs) are free. And that is a really good key because here's the thing, and we talked about Philippians 4:8, right? Yesterday, that idea of fill your brains and and think about these things is what Philippians 4:8 says, and that really is a tool because for your kids to say, stop thinking about that social media feed.
1: About the
0: red yeah, you can't do it, but you can say, why don't you pick one of your words from Philippians 4.8. Pick one of those words. Okay, um, noble. That's one that they picked. Okay, what are you thinking about for noble? You know, and, and you start working down that exercise. And here's the thing is that if you haven't done that work ahead of time, you can't access it in that point that your cingulate's on fire. Does, does that make sense? And so if you're really angry right now and I'm like, think about flowers, <laughs> you're going to be throwing flowers, right? <laughs> But if you've got your, your thoughts already arranged, and so for me, it's that once again, it's right on my, my, my phone is Evernote, Chuck's Brain Helpers. I can go to those Brain Helpers, and it helps me get into that thoughts because I've prepared ahead of time. I know that my brain gets attacked, and so I've prepared ahead of time. And So with our kids, that's a huge gift to give them. Um, replacement activities, physical activity can be a really useful thing. But what I say is that the kids that end up um, harming themselves, you see stories of kids committing suicide because of what happens online. They told their parents a lot of times. Their parents are like, "It's no big deal." And what parents have signaled is that I don't believe this is hurting you, or it shouldn't be hurting you. You know, and so the kids don't respond. So please take it seriously. Don't. You won't get it. You won't get it. You can seek understanding of it, but please take it seriously. Get them some help. You know, if they if they can talk to a counselor, if they can talk to a pastor. Um, if they couldn't talk to a dean, you know, there's someone trusted, a Pathfinder leader, someone trusted, maybe it won't be you, but there's someone that they can get talking with. You know, gain some perspective, gain some confidence in it. Um, but, but please, please take it seriously. Yeah.
1: Do you have an age that you think is like the age where it's okay for them to start getting I mean, I'm sure it's on your list of it's pitches. Like
0: okay. Let's get to that question a little later because we're going to talk about phones and ages. Um, it really has to do with your kid's maturity level and need. And what I say is the best way to start is, is for you to actually share an account, you know, so it's, it's done as a together activity. Um, I think I talked to the parent yesterday or today that talked to we, the concept of a rope is that when a kid is a baby, you're either carrying them or holding hands, right? And as you gain confidence in them, they get to go a little further from you, but you can always reel them back in. And as a teen gets older, they get more trust. As they show themselves trustworthy, they get more rope. As they show less trustworthy, we're going to have to be closer. And so that concept of in and out is something that we train the kids about and and as parents, we're we're constantly watching. And so in a sense, when they're starting with social media, let's be side by side. You know, let's do that together. Um, Let's do that time of reading. Let's do that time of posting together. And as you show yourself more trustworthy and how you're responding to it and how you're affecting you will give you a little bit more space for independence. Does, does that make sense? And so depending on the kid and their maturity, and honestly, it depends on their need. All the kids are going to say, I need it, I need it. Okay, you want it. <clears throat> you don't need it, you want it. And then really looking at at what point is it going to be a blessing or at what point is it going to be a challenge? Um, what, are the, what are the kids learning in these pictures? Bicycling is fun. True. Family time. Fantastic. Nature. huh, oh, nice. Exercise. Wait, you said what?
1: Wear a helmet?
0: That's an interesting thing that you say. How likely are these kids to wear helmets as adults? Um, in this family, they get it right. If you only have one helmet between dad and mom, <laughs> put it on. Put it on her head. <laughs> the reason I share this is because do as I say, not as I do. You know, honestly, the, our, our kids will learn the most about social media by observing how, how we interact with these electronic devices. We can do all the preaching. We can do all the saying that we want. But they're watching our facial expressions when we're using it. They're, they're listening to what we mumble about people they're seeing when we interrupt face to face communication for something that's happening on our phone you know they see what we're checking first thing last thing they know they they're observing us you know and so to me that's the scariest thing and the most encouraging thing people complain that our kids take up our habits and there is a tendency that they take up our worst habits and not our best but there is, they're watching. And so the likelihood of these kids actually using their devices well and respectfully really impacts on, on how we do it. You know, would we want our kids looking at our, our social media feed? Would we want them seeing comments that we've left online on, on different things? And, and so to me, there is an a, a mo- idea that we have to model it. We have to model it. Uh, modeling is probably the most powerful thing for either good or, or, or bad. And this is the struggle, you know, just to be blunt with you guys, is that you have some of you that have um, blended families or, or you have a situation in which you're a single parent and your kids are in your influence and then your kids are out of your influence and you see good modeling and you see really destructive modeling, right? And that's a tension and I think just talking about it helps, but it's really confusing for your kids. It's, it's really hard on your kids. They'll, they'll see lots of examples of that. So a couple of the lies that kids believe that we really need to keep pushing it back against is the lie that online isn't real. There's just this feeling that kids have that this is an electronic thing that's just out in nowhere land. I can say anything. I can do anything. I can post anything. And it's not, it's not real because I can't, you know, grab it. and, and So it's just it's electronic. We have to break that down for our kids. Online is as real as any other world. Online trust can be broken the same way as real trust. So if our kid says, I'm going here, and they go someplace else, what does that do for trust? Breaks it, right? If online they say, I'm going to do this, and they do something else, what does that do for trust? Breaks it. A lie told online is the same as a lie told in person, right? So this is one world that we're living in. It's a complicated world, but it's, it's one world. And so it's a real world, and it's a real world in which there's cause and effect. You know, it's not a world in which we can operate without something impacting something else. You can't just erase it, you can't just delete it. This stuff is, is out there, and, it, and it's real forever. Um, and I just want to go back to that is, is, I say it's a lie. Have you perceived that, that the online world, when you look at commercials, when you look at devices, all these things, they have a, a desire to kind of trick our minds to thinking it, it might not be real? You know, that this is just a game or this is a, a virtual reality? Even that word is interesting, isn't it? Is that I can do something here that's just virtual, and so to me, that, that power of, of breaking that down. You talked a little earlier, you asked a question about real life online. Um, this is a statistic, 5.1% of children had reported, this is a McAfee study, that they're afraid of going to school based on something that happened online. Is that some sort of interaction caused that? I actually thought the number would be higher. Um, 4.5% have been in a physical fight that started off on a, on a, you know, a, a social media platform. Interesting to think about is that that carries into, into the real world. And my guess is these numbers are going to escalate. Um, even here at camp meeting, my guess is that there's some conflict that's racing around some of the kids with with texting and social media. Some trends with apps. I want to just kind of go into this just because to me, it's I like to look at big picture, and I think our kids need to see some of this, is that a lot of the apps that, that we keep seeing developed um, are encouraging us connecting and relying on strangers for information and help. And so the concept behind it is who's near you and can you, can you connect with them? And then really that idea is relying on strangers. And so some of the sites that, that are there is that I want to ask a question and I can put it out there anonymously and people around me can provide me the feedback on it, right? And so that's that idea of, of strange, stranger sourcing is, is almost a way. And then they provide an expectation of privacy. They have this, this viewpoint. And so if you look at Snapchat, what does Snapchat provide? It's going to delete. It's going to delete. And what does that communicate to? I I want. An expectation that it's gone, that, that it's really private, right? Is that I can do this and then it disappears. And so kind of put it into boxes. Is this connecting me to rely on strangers? Or is this in the sense of, of giving me an expectation that I can do whatever? What stays online? Well, what's the Vegas line? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? You know, that concept is, is really what I'm looking at for that expectation of privacy. So some of them, you know, there's so many and it's so hard to keep track of. Um, you know, some of these, majority of these have a, have a good, decent use I wouldn't say all of them, but, but we'll have a decent, a decent use as well as, as that manipulated use. Um, so, um, Voxer is kind of a walkie talkie. It's a way of recording messages, but it also causes this intimidation happen. So there's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of more of the, the level of the language that's used is, is pretty intimidating. Yik Yak is this anonymous social, um, how it's just called it, the social wall for everything and everything. So if you can use Yik Yak, you can just put out stuff there, and, and lots of people can comment, they can share. But it's really getting to that point that you're relying on strangers. Um, Tinder is a way to connect with new and interesting people around you. So it's just a way of who's near me, you know, who's like me around me, and, and the goal around that is that oh, this person also likes the same hobby and, and connecting. Here's the wild thing: is that especially for our kids, do we know? Are other people's profiles accurate? No. Not at all, right? Are our profiles accurate? <laughs> a little scarier question, isn't it? But at the end of the day, that's the, that's the worry that I have is, is that our kids are posting, oh, I like Legos, and then someone else is like, I have Legos, and I've got a collection I'd share with you, and, and you find out that, that they're not well-intentioned people. And so that's the scary FM questions and answers. Um, you have friends, you have peers and anonymous, and so you can post these questions and, and the group sources answers them. Um, Kick Messenger, there's texting, phone contacts, a bunch of stranger contacts type stuff. There's a lot of sexting that goes on in that, in that environment. Sexting is really using that, that more of a text for, for sexual content. And some of these platforms will have, once again, this expectation of privacy is you've got a bigger portion to it and then they go to a sub area for having these conversations and the expectation is that parents won't be able to see it or that dad or mom wouldn't know. Um, Snapchat, I am with disappearing secrecy, sexting, a lot of stuff going on there that, that I just don't feel is appropriate. There's some silly stuff that happens on, on Snapchat too, but really the premise of Snapchat is, is you know, keeping stuff hidden or keeping stuff secret or disappearing. It increases impulsiveness. Does, does that make sense? It feeds impulsiveness. And so there's a lot of lists on these and they keep growing. What I have to say is that one of the buffer rules as a parent, and we talked about that, this is a rule that you put in place just to to help you recognize, to keep you safe. It's not necessarily falling off the cliff, but it keeps you safe. And so what I say is that you should have the ability, you should be, as the parent, the one that can add apps to their phone. And typically, you shouldn't add an app unless you've had maybe 24 hours, maybe more, to do some research on it. You know, go online, talk to some other parents, because the compulsive reason for it sounds really great. But a lot of times, the shadow side is, is pretty dark. Um, Instagram. Instagram's a really interesting platform, but Instagram has a ton of porn on it. Um, and the way that they're doing searches and and stuff with the hashtags and some of those kind of things is, is really disturbing. And so that's a challenge is that, oh, uh, you know, we're sharing pictures. Oh, that's fun. Well, you know, what has it opened up alongside of it? And, you know, Facebook tries to keep it clean, but it's not. You know, there's other apps out there that seem really innocent. What we call our vault apps. And a vault app is something that looks like maybe a calculator. And it can be a useful calculator. But inside of that vault app, if they do the right combination, it opens up a place to store files in a secret place. And so what they do is they'd hide porn images, they'd hide text, you know, they could hide content that they don't want other people to see. And it would just look like a calculator. But in reality, it's, it's a place to hide content. And so as a parent, you, know, you wouldn't necessarily know, I've got this new calculator, our teacher says we should use it, can I install it? Have that time, have that 24 hours, you know, it's just a discipline. And I'd say even for you, there's parents that um, go through this process of, if I'm gonna add an app, what am I gonna take out you know, recognizing that, that especially with the social media, that that we can't overfill our lives. And so there's some disciplines around it. You know, just encourage you to be creative um, in that process. But adding that delay helps us be a little more wary so we don't end up with something on our kid's phone. And do start with a really dumbed-down phone. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, top teen tricks. I just want to give you this. This is a little different than social media, but it's just interesting. clear their browser history. 46% minimize when parents walk near. I love being at Project Patch in the computer lab because all the computers are visible. We have um, a math program that they can go to, and it's really not locked down. But our kids have a natural... uh, They go to the top right corner to X out. It's just they're so used to doing that when an adult walks near. Uh, But that is a problem as kids do that. 34% hide or delete instant messages or videos. 23% use a PC not checked by parents Um, 20% make content viewable only by friends Can you imagine how tiring that would be to just choose who gets to see what and so you might be friends with your kid online? But that's not enough. You need to be able to go on as them Does that make sense? 15% private email unknown to parents the main reason they have that email is so they can sign up for stuff that you don't approve of and Then 9% have duplicate or fake social profiles. Does that sound exhausting? This is mine, this is mine, I occasionally hear of kids that mess that up. You know, post onto the wrong one. Yeah, please. When
1: you said about making sure that you on Yeah. Um, so when I back in the and you were writing journals, yeah. And my dad would read my journal not and and me knowing and then he me with what I wrote in here. Wow.
0: Yeah. So of course that the trust issue. Yeah. So how, does, how do you do that? So from the very start set no expectation of privacy when it comes to online and so this is not a private a journal would be private you know and so with the journal you with the kid especially the privacy having the expectations that yeah you can have this journal i'm not going to read it what happens online is not this is public domain so where you go online what you do online all that is 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 there's no expectation of privacy when i hire an employee that's one of the first things we do for, for their online, is, is make sure that they understand that nothing, their emails, what they do, where they go online, you know their files, none of that is, is personal. Yep. Even if they bought the phone, even if they got it as a gift from someone, even if they had bought it, there is no expectation of privacy online that, that we have. Um, that doesn't mean I, I, it's not a trust mistrust. As me as an adult, I have no expectation of privacy. You know and and that's a key for me because I don't want to be secretive. I don't want secrets between me and my my wife. I don't want the expectation that I can be at work with no one watching what i'm what i'm doing it's It's what I need, not just because I'm in recovery, but I need it as a as a human being using this the system yes, please yeah, I think that's you know there's there is a stage that your kid is launched out of your home, but at least setting the expectation that you can, and so yeah, I think that that would be would be okay. You could set it up with your kid that's saying, you know when I'm going to do that, especially for an older kid, let's do it together. You know, so that they don't feel like you're sneaking behind them. But it starts, It starts if you don't set that, sep- secret, that expectation of privacy, then it feels like you're intruding and that you're doing all these other things. And so this is a cost for you to have this. If, you don't, if you're wanting privacy, you, don't, you won't get it. You know, it's just kind of a matter of fact. It's their cost of, of participating. But, you know, I'd say once they go off to college, I, I, at that point, if you're paying their bills and some of those kind of things, if they're still in a dependent relationship with you for some of those things, you can have some of those be a, okay, you know, if I'm going to be paying your college bill, then these are the things that cause kids to fail out of college, and so I'm going to be involved with your life a little bit more. If they're showing a bunch of independence, then I'd say, you know, you're, it's, I don't have a right to be in that area of your life now. I, you know, for, for kids in your home, I, I don't think that they have a private email. Yeah, I, I don't think that they do. I don't have a private email, and I'm an adult. You know, and, and I just, there's confidence, but, but I, I really just, secrecy is poison, guys. You know, and it causes problems, and the expectation that I can do, say, or do whatever stuff and people aren't going to notice, that's, that causes all sorts of problems. Why, um, number two, it's impossible to stay ahead of what my kids are doing online. Parents that buy into this lie, and it feels so true, um, just give up. They give up. 23% admit that they're overwhelmed and can only hope for the best. 23% claim that they don't have time or energy to keep up with any, everything the teen does online. And that is true. You don't have a chance to do everything. 22% live in denial, claiming their kids can't get into trouble. <laughs> so it's a, it's a mix of stuff. But what I have to say is that you know there are things that we can do that set a good foundation. Um, and this is where the tools do, do really help with, with, so it's not a whack-a-mole type situation. Um, make it a partnership. If your kid is not displaying partnership skills, if they're not partnering with you on this, then they don't get the, the chance to use these things. You know, this has to be a partnership. That means that we're working together for you to use this. So it's not just you want to get a me putting on the brakes. We're both, we're both using this intelligently. We're focusing on trust. We're focusing on trust building. So that means that I'm giving you more rope and taking rope back. That dynamic's in play constantly. You know, and teens want their freedom, right? And so as you show more trust, you get more freedom. As you break trust, you get less less freedom. And so that's a, a constant manipulator. Um, we need to educate our teens. You know, we have to have them aware and being consumers, not just consumed. And so that's education about, about um how kids respond to online things, the depression. Is that my phone saying that I'm almost done? Where did our time go today? That's crazy. But we have to make the, this, this process of, of educating our teens. Um, that's why I really love going into schools and actually taking time talking with some of this issue of who owns you, how smart is your brain actually when it comes to technology, and we need to keep, keep educating our kids on that stuff. Be very careful in how you do it. Um, how many of you remember watching stuff about back masking? When you take records and you play them backwards and all the devil's messages are there. What did you do right after you heard that message? <laughs> you played the Eben, Gleben, Schleben, whatever that was. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You did that, right? It caused rebelliousness. And so be careful with what materials you do because some of the materials are they might be true but they, they cause the fruits of it are, are disconnection from their parents. And so make it a partnership, make it a relationship, making sure how you do it, how you present it is, is a way of, of engaging. Really work on the frontal lobe. You want them to think, you want them to process. Um, Line number three, technology solves technology problems. What solves technology problems? Relationships, right? Not technology. Technology is only gonna get worse. 75% of parents say they've had a conversation with teens about online safety. 50% of teens say it resonates with them. Um, So, the elephant in the room, when should I get my kid a smartphone? Never! (laughs) Never! (laughs) Um, You know, at some point, it's just up to you, you have to realize your kid's needs. And what I'd say is don't buy into the safety argument, don't buy into the everyone has one argument, um, making sure that there's a purpose for it. Start off with the dumbest phone possible, and so a dumb phone is a smartphone that has been basic functionality. Hardly any applications, only necessary things. They don't have admin, they can't add applications. Um, Applications and settings are all done by the parent. Um, There's accountability filters built into it. They're using a browser that is limited with accountability so they can't use the, like if they're using an iPhone, they can't be using necessarily the Google Chrome or or the Safari browser. They're using the Covenant Eyes one if that's what you're using, that sort of thing. Um, Limiting the location services. And so especially some of these apps that are connecting with people around them um, and building those weird social alliances, you're shutting off the location awareness for that. Their pictures don't collect all the location information, some of those things. And you're making sure that you have some sort of covenant agreement with the child before they start using that phone. Um, and that means you know what you post, when you post it, what sort of information you reveal online, how we do family, people, pictures, those sorts of, of covenants. And there's some information I'll send you on that. Let's end with, with one, hopefully something that encourages you a little bit as a parent. In the Bible, God portrayed himself as a dad. The dad of two boys. And we know that as the story of the prodigal son, right? One of the sons, it's actually prodigal means generous, which is an interesting, interesting concept. So the dad was told by his son that my life would be better if he were dead, right? And that dad could have argued with his son. He didn't argue with his son. He didn't get into these debates that are at least recorded. He sold off. His son went off into a crazy land. His son partied, lost everything. His son came back, right? And the dad ran to him. I don't know if you've ever seen your dad run. (laughs) But that must have been an awesome scene of a dad running to his son and just that greeting. And so it's a son and dad restored. Pretty awesome, pretty awesome story. What is strange about it is they throw the party. In that party scene, there's another brother that comes, and the brother's pouting outside. You know the story, right? What does the dad do? The dad goes out, sits down, and reasons with him. And what you discover about the other son is that other son was in relationship. Why? Because of obligation. Because of fear. He might have even been jealous of his other brother that went away, but he stayed there. Why? obligation, not love, bitterness, right? Scorekeeping of this is fair, this is unfair, and, and all these things, but, but he wasn't free. You know, what's interesting to me is that, is that in the father reasoning with his son, was that first son reasoned with? He was allowed to go and, and experience, right? The second son was reasoned with, but do we have any record of what happened? We don't, do we? All we know is that God responded to his children's hearts in a way to try to win them back in different ways. For one son, he had to give freedom. For another son, he tried to do reasoning. And, and the hard thing about it is with your kids, we don't know. Honestly, we wish that God would print, reason with me, <laughs> let me go, You know, that there's some sort of clarity around that. But what I will say is that God understands you as a parent. When your kid is in rebellion, when your kid is harming themselves, God is not judging you for that. You know, when you really take this story seriously, God would not have been allowed to be an elder in many of our Adventist churches. Why? Because his family's in disarray. He did all the right things, but his free well kids responded to that love in, in some really destructive ways. And so for you guys, I, I just want to give you that encouragement is that is that our goal as parents is, is we pursue our kids' hearts. We can't own the results. And Satan often is going to, to tempt us to, to think that it's all about us, that it's our fault. He's going to demoralize us. He's going to make us feel shamed. He's going to make us feel like we can't participate in church or worship or, or all sorts of things because of, of the choices our kids are making. And I just say that's not coming from God. That's not coming from God. God convicts us to, to seek after those that are lost, not, not get in that, that moment of fear. You know, so I, I hope you're encouraged by that. You know, the, the thing that I say is, I'm going to skip this. Sorry, we just have no time. Never, ever give up. You just don't know. You know, for kids that we serve at Patch, there's kids that years later, that they come into their right mind. You know, and they start practicing the things that they learned in their youth. And and really, that's my prayer for, for you guys, is that is that keep going. Keep going. When it feels like you don't have the right words, just keep trying. When you mess up, what I was going to show you was the six-step apology. When you mess up, apologize. Start again. Start again. Let me pray for you guys. And then if we have questions, I'll, I'll just take questions. But those that have to go can. Oh, father, I just thank you for the parents here. Um, thank you for this, these moments you've given us of, of reflecting on you as a father. Father, this world is filled with technology, and, and um, we'd be foolish to think that we feel confident. Father, we desire good fruit in our kids' lives. We desire all the things that only you can provide. And, and, and so, Father, just pray for, for our children. Pray that their roots will go deep into your word, that their roots and their confidence will lie in nothing other than you. Father, that they'll seek their identity, um, their purpose only in you. And most of all, Father, just protect them from, from the devil that's out there. Um, lead them to abundance. Father, we pray for holy moments of connection. We pray for right words. We pray for silence at the right time. Um, we pray for, for our kids to know our hearts and that even though our words and our actions sometimes might um, convey something else, that we, they know that they're, they're, that they're loved and that they can experience a glimpse of heaven through, through the love that you've put in our hearts. Oh, Father, we just thank you for this time that we've had together and ask that our learning continue and that our relationships continue. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.